This episode is brought to you by the Biblical Recorder. Southern Baptists work together because we believe in the Great Commission and we believe in one another. But what happens if that trust fades? What happens to our global vision to make Christ known? The Biblical Recorder is committed to Southern Baptist partnership. Their news reporters provide reliable information and inspiring stories, stories that build trust. Connect with them today on social media or check out the latest news at brnow.org. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Nate and John Aiken here, and welcome back to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, where we want to continue to have conversations about how we can see Christ in all the scriptures. In the last episode, we talked about why this is important and why we think both preachers need to to, to preach in this way, but also why just Christians need to be able to read their Bibles in this way. And so there are a lot of objections to this. You would think, again, most people would not say that they are uh, against anything Christ-centered, but there is there are some objections to, you know, doing this hermeneutic, doing this kind of preaching, even reading the Bible in this way. And so we kind of want to dive into some of those over the next couple episodes. And so, John, just one of the main ones we hear is, uh, I mean, the Old Testament is is its own document. It was written, uh, shouldn't we let the Old Testament stand on its own and, and let the Old Testament kind of speak on its own terms? And so how would you answer that objection? Yeah, so I think, one, I want to, on any of these objections, I want to ask what is in it that I need to hear and that needs to correct. So I would say that, that that objection is born out of a desire to handle the Bible rightly, right? We want to handle the Word of Truth rightly, uh, and we don't want to impose something on it that is foreign to it. We don't want to make it say something that it doesn't say. Uh, and so I think that's, <laughs> that's at the baseline level as those who are Christians who want to read the Bible, understand the Bible, and then and then share the Bible— uh, we definitely want to let it speak um, and not impose or impose something on it that's not there. And so I want to receive that objection uh, and and wrestle with it and say, I hope that my Bible reading and my Bible preaching is not mishandling the text, okay? Now, where I would push back on this idea that, so, so you know, let the human author... We, we, we're interpreting the Bible. Obviously, we want the author's intent for what he's kind of trying to communicate be the meaning that we're communicating and understanding. Uh, but some of the way that objection is raised gives so much weight to the human author that it that it disregards the divine author of Scripture. That yeah, it's sixty six books, but it's also one be- book with one author uh, that's telling one story. And so we we need to be, be able to read it in that way. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, but the other thing that I would say is that the Old Testament, on its own terms, is a messianic document. Okay, as, as John Selhammer says, it's a it's a messianic document written from a messianic perspective to sustain a messianic hope, and I think that that's that that's true. So uh, Kaiser talks about reading only forward. Okay, that you can't take something that comes after whatever text you're looking at, whatever passage you're looking at, you can't interpret it in light of something that comes after it. You can only read forward. You can't read backwards. Um, and I would say, one, we're going to say that's not true and right, but but two, I would say, even reading it just forward, uh, the authors are in this messianic line. They're, they're looking at Genesis 3 
and this promise that, yeah, even though man has fallen hmm. and death has entered into the world, there's going to be this seed, this offspring from the woman that's going to come and crush the serpent's head. And they're asking early on, not just the authors, right. but the people. Like you haven't, you get to Genesis 6, just a couple of chapters later, Genesis 5 actually, just a couple of chapters later, at the end, Noah's dad's naming him Noah and saying, this is the one who's going to bring us relief from the curse on the ground, right? And so like they're, the the parents, not just Moses when he's writing this, but the parents are saying, "Is this the, is this the one? Is this the guy? Is this is, is it going to happen now?" And so there's this this messianic expectation from the beginning, and the authors are writing with that in mind. Okay, Moses is writing with that in mind. David is writing with that in mind. He's picking up earlier scripture, and he's writing with that intention in mind. And in fact, the Old Testament, on its own terms, is a messianic document. First Peter one tells us. Um, that they the, these these prophets as they're being carried along by the Holy Spirit, they're inquiring about the 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 person and the time the Spirit of Christ in them was testifying to, and so they knew an awful lot more than sometimes we give them credit for. They they know the messianic promise, they know the messianic expectation and hope. The only thing they don't know is his name and the time that he comes. Yeah, see, that's a question I have, and even I've, as I've always heard this objection, I wrestled with it. I mean. So from Genesis 3 on, there has to be some sense of, we know somebody's coming to deliver us. Again, how that, you know, how full they understood and all that, that's that's a debate. I actually heard a guy who teaches systematic theology at a seminary who, when he was in the middle of being interviewed at a certain seminary to get the job, it was all these different, so it was Old Testament, New Testament, biblical theology guys, all, all these guys in the room. And so he just threw this bomb in the middle of the room. How much did Moses know in Genesis 3? And he said... I didn't have to answer a question again in the entire interview because the Old Testament guys and the New Testament guys and the Biblical Theology guys argued over this for their So again, that's a big question when it comes to this, reading it on its own term. But how can you read what Moses is saying in Genesis 3 and not think, at least from that point forward, they know there's a deliverer coming? Right. Yeah, I think that, and First Peter confirms, you know, as Scripture, inspired Scripture confirms, they knew an awful lot. Now, we, we can debate the particulars of how much they knew, but they knew a lot. They just didn't know the particulars. I mean, that's basically what he's saying in in First Peter uh, one and Romans one is saying the same thing that the the gospel was was promised in the Old Testament. It was promised beforehand through the prophets, right? And so uh, this is something that that has been there all along in this one book that God is inspiring to be. And I, and I would just say again, we talked about this in the last episode, but that kind of burning within you. So like when you do start to see the shadow start to take shape and you see it in the face of Jesus Christ, that I've always felt once again, I gave myself over to this hermeneutic. I, it, when you see that connection, yet yeah, your heart burns within you to see, okay, this has been fulfilled in somebody who has actually come to give their lives for us uh, and to redeem us. And so um, this is not just a heady exercise for us. This is a, again, this is something that's to move our will and emotions to, to follow Jesus and to love him more. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. So it is a, it's a messianic document. It's a Christian document. The old Testament is, um, you know, first Corinthians 10, these things were written for you upon whom the ends of the ages have come. First Peter one, they, they, it was revealed to them. They were not serving themselves, but, but you, um, and so it's a document that was written for the Christian community. It's a Christian document. We don't need to Christianize it. We don't need to, to Christocentrize it. It is Christocentric. It is Christian. This is speculation, but how much do you think Moses knew? I think Moses knew that there was a promised deliverer in Genesis 3, that that was then carried through from Noah, 
through his sons all the way down to Abraham, and that Abraham's offspring is is the one, and that the child of promise was Isaac, not uh, not uh, Ishmael, and it was Jacob, not Esau, and then it's Judah, uh, and then the, I think I think he knows, all, and then I think he when he's writing under the inspiration of God, the law the law for kings, he's, he's writing Numbers uh, twenty two through twenty four as he as, as those uh, oracles where he's talking about the the scepter, you know, of Judah uh, being raised over uh, Agag and, and, and these, these kinds of things. And, and uh, not, I mean, he, he's writing in those oracles and then in Deuteronomy 17, the laws for kingship. And so I think early, I think he knows that this seed promise has been traced all the way from, from Eve through Abraham to Judah. And there's, the scepter is not going to depart from Judah and it's going to crush Agag and it's going to crush the enemies of Israel and then there's going to be a king who's a man of the law. So I think he knows that. Now would be a good time to hear from our sponsor, The Biblical Recorder. News moves faster than ever. Trying to keep up can be exhausting. Social media is great, but we all know how toxic it can be. Sometimes I wish news reporters could just text me the information I need and answer my question. Well, that's exactly why The Biblical Recorder created BR Connect a text messaging service that keeps you up to speed with daily updates and live news alerts. No more trolls, no more bots, no more keyboard warriors to hijack your Southern Baptist news stories. For just $3 a month, you can have direct access to a team of award-winning journalists. They'll send you news before it breaks, and you can text them back with questions or comments anytime. You won't find a better way to stay in the loop. Go to brnow.org backslash connect to subscribe. It comes with a 14-day free trial, and you can cancel at any time. Again, sign up today at brnow.org backslash connect. The Biblical Reporter is here to help you find the information and inspiration you need. So let's talk through again the phrase, you have to deal with it on its own. You think there's inherent problems with that. What would you say to that? Yeah, the the inherent problem is that on its own terms, it's messianic. The other problem would be that if what you mean by that phrase is kind of what Kaiser would mean by that phrase is you have to deal with the text that you're reading or preaching without viewing it by what comes after it. Not only do I think that statement is incorrect, I think that statement is impossible. And so let me give you an example. When when we were kids, uh, when I first started reading, and I know the same is true for you, our favorite series of books was a series of books called Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, amazing books. If you did not read those as a child, you should read them now. They will do you good. I think Donald Sobel is the author. You can go back and, and get them at some used bookstore. There's even probably some cheesy movies on Netflix connected to it. Yeah, it's amazing. So Encyclopedia Brown was a fifth grade detective, and he solved like fifth grade cases, like who took Timmy's bat. And, um, and so students would come to his garage, give him 25 cents a case uh, to work the case. And then each of these books was made up of like 10 short stories. And so, so he'd go through the crime, and at the end of the story in that short story, Encyclopedia Brown would solve the case, but it didn't tell you how he did it. And, it, and it, the question would be at the bottom, like how did Encyclopedia Brown know that Bugs Meany stole the bat? And you had to kind of try to be the detective and see if you could guess how he solved it. And the answer was at the back of the book. And so I like read through all of those and I never could. I was too dumb <laughs> on myself by myself to, to figure it out. And so I'd flip to the back of the book and then it would show you the clues of how he figured it out. And it's like, oh yeah, it's obvious. And so then I, I read through all the books and I was done. I was like, I'm sad. I don't, I don't want to go read something else. I want to read Encyclopedia Brown. And so I was like, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start over. I'm going to read through them again. And this time, I'm just going to approach it like a blank slate. I'm just going to, I'm just going to wipe my mind of everything I've learned before, see if I can be a good detective this time. 
but what happened when I read the book the second time? Yeah. It was obvious. Like the clues were there. I already knew the climax. I already knew the conclusion. And so the clues that led to that conclusion were obvious at that point. Yeah. It'd be like watching Sixth Sense a second time and being like, well, I, I got to just tell myself he's not dead and watch this very, very like clean slate. It's just, it's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. And what I'm arguing is you shouldn't because the New Testament tells us, Hebrews and, and other places, that the old, there's shadows and types in the Old Testament that point to something greater than them. And we know the climax, Jesus crucified, raised from the dead, ascended, reigning from the right hand of the Father. Uh, and so we should notice the clues and notice the types and notice the shadows in the same way that you'd read Encyclopedia Brown or a murder mystery novel. Or even just time, as, time. as sports guys, I mean, if we if somehow, and again, this would be a miracle considering what's happened for those of us that are Dallas Cowboy fans, but if somehow the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl, we could not go back to the first round of the playoffs and watch that game as though they never won and have the same kind of excitement and intensity watching it. There's no chance you could do that because you know – the ultimate payoff of what's happened. Yeah. How much more so in the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great illustration. And so you can't read it like a blank slate, and neither do I think you should try to read it like a blank slate. So you you can't interpret it rightly if you don't read it as a Christian who knows its climax in Jesus. And so I want to argue, I, I love what Kaiser says about reading the, the Bible forward. Yes, do that. It's a Messianic document anyways, and you're going to pick up some of the clues, but you also need to read it backwards because that's going to help you more fully and clearly be able to understand what's what's happening. Because the Old Testament authors, they knew a lot. They didn't know the time and the person. We do. And so now we should be able to fill in the blanks. Okay, so continuing with that, like the the kind of the objection of let the Old Testament stand on its own. Could I not just say, you know, read thinking through David and Goliath's story again? That's that's brought up a lot in this context. But can't that story just be about God and how He is the one who delivers David from the hand of the enemy? Like He's the one that delivers David from the hand of the Philistines. Why does it have to be, or is it about Jesus? I mean, that's a good question. So again, as we talk about. Um, reading it in its own terms, or, or, re, or, or maybe reading it forwards before you read backwards uh, into it, I think that you want to say we've got to—I think every preacher is going to say we want to interpret this passage, the story of David and Goliath, in context, okay? And so that means in the context of, one, the anointing of David in the previous chapter as the new king, and the failure of Saul in previous chapters, and even in this chapter, Saul's failure to defend uh, them against Goliath— and then you want to put it in the context of Samuel and what the author of Samuel is trying to do. Well, at the beginning of the book of Samuel, uh, both the first and second books, it's the prayer of Hannah that is the kind of controlling uh, you know, interpreter for what the author is trying to do in the book because she's laying out the theme. She's laying out the map for what's going to happen in first and second Samuel. And the theme is the, the, the prideful are going to be smashed and the lowly are going to be exalted. And then, not just the lowly, but the the, the anointed one, the Messiah, right. Right. okay? And so the author of First and Second Samuel, the human author, what, he, what he's trying to do is show how in the life of David, this lowly shepherd boy, how prideful Saul, smashed. Prideful Goliath, smashed. Lowly David, because he's relying on God, because he's been anointed by the Spirit, he is being anointed, and he's the one who's going to establish the kingdom of Israel, and therefore the Messianic promise is given to him in 2 Samuel 7. Okay, That's what Samuel's doing on its own terms. Right. Okay, And so, yeah, I mean, it's true that God is the one who delivers uh, David from the hand of the Philistine, but because he's the anointed one, in the same way that God's going to deliver Jesus from death, 
uh, raise him from the dead and, and, and through that establish his kingdom and give the sure mercies of David as the, the, the apostles are preaching uh, about the resurrected Lord. Uh, that, that's what Samuel's doing on, quote, its own terms, is showing the, the uplifting of the Messiah right. and how David, is, the son of David, is going to become the controlling uh, kind of type for what the Messiah, uh, who the Messiah is going to be when he comes. Uh, and so that leads ultimately to Jesus. Now, in that context of what Samuel's doing, then when we read back, we can see the, these, these parallels that anointed by the Spirit goes out. 40 days, 40 nights, faces the enemy with the, the scale enemy, the, the serpent enemy, crushes his head. Uh, we see the parallels between David and Jesus. And we're going to get to our reliance on the Lord right. as those who are in Christ, who have received the same spirit. Therefore, we fight. Therefore, we're brave. Therefore, we face the enemy. Absolutely, we're going to get there, but we don't want to bypass Jesus on the way to getting there. That's good. And it, it, we'll talk more about that kind of thing in application of how we take that show how it points to Christ and then how it's mediated to us as believers. And so in the next episode, uh, we will talk through the the objection of the apostles can do this, they're spirit-inspired, um, but we shouldn't do this uh, at home. So it's probably the don't do this at home uh, objection, or also even kind of maybe a corollary to that is this could lead to allegory. And so we'll want to kind of jump into that. And again, thanks for listening. We do want to hear from you. Um, so ask questions and help sharpen us. And then we would love to interact with that. Hopefully we'll do a couple podcasts at the end of this season to address the interactions you guys give to us. And so please uh, interact with us. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.